0: Hello and welcome to Quick Hits, a podcast made available by Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. Hello there, my name is Phil Gursky, President of Borealis. This is episode number 16 of Quick Hits, which is a shorter podcast dealing with current events in the world of terrorism and international security. And I want to focus today on an issue that I have been following for quite a long time now, both as an intelligence analyst for the Canadian government, where I worked for 32 years, but also since my so-called retirement, looking at terrorism in Canada and other parts of the world, trying to understand it better, trying to analyze it, trying to provide some insight and a perspective of someone who worked, as I say, at the coalface for more than three decades. And this particular aspect has to do with a, an unusual, I will use the term, way in which the Americans, United States, divides terrorism that occurs on its soil. So the primary agency that does this is, is of course, is the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, And when they look at terrorism in the United States, they divide it into two main categories. And those categories are domestic and international. Domestic terrorism is what they use to refer to plots or individuals or groups or organizations that have a, how to put this, a a U.S. internal focus to them. I'll get back to that in a second. International terrorism, as it sounds is a term used by the same agencies, FBI, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, other parts of the United States government, to refer to actors, organizations, individuals who appear to be have some kind of tie or link or relationship or whatever you want to call it to individuals, actors, groups outside the United States, hence international. What in fact this really means though, is that international terrorism is a term used by the Americans to refer almost exclusively to Islamist extremism, i.e. jihadis. Whereas domestic terrorism is used, again, almost exclusively to refer to what we, meaning Canada and much of the rest of the world, would call far-right terrorism, or white nationalist terrorism, or white supremacist terrorism, or neo-Nazi terrorism, a bunch of terms that are being used, and they all have their issues, and we can talk about that at some point. I really think this is the wrong way of looking at things. I have long been critical of this notion that an American uh, born and raised in the United States who happens to be Muslim, who happens to radicalize to violence in conjunction with this notion of Islamist extremism, who has no significant ties to these operational ties or even ideological ties to anyone outside the United States and who goes to uh, plot an act of terrorism, hopefully unsuccessfully because he's caught in advance. But if, if, he, if not, then he, he can uh, end up killing or, or, or wounding people. He is an international terrorist. Whereas you get some white supremacists like you know, Dylan Roof, for example. He was the guy in North Carolina a couple of years ago who shot up a, a prayer meeting. Who was labeled a domestic terrorist, even though there are lots of white supremacists outside the United States. In fact, if you follow the scholarship and reporting over the past couple of months and years, what we are learning is that there is a very broad based and strengthening network of this type of extremism again, white nationalism, white supremacism, call it what you will that goes far beyond the borders of the continental United States. Ergo, calling this thing domestic terrorism is actually inaccurate. Whereas calling any Islamist, extremist, or jihadi plot international by default is also inaccurate at times. Here's what I want to do. I want to make a very, very um, humble submission to my American colleagues, many of whom I worked uh, side by side for three decades in a variety of organizations. I'd like to suggest that they simply change the nomenclature they use to talk about terrorism to something that makes a heck of a lot more sense. So... We here in Canada don't use that dichotomy. We don't use domestic versus international. What we have done in my times at CSIS, I believe the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, follows a similar procedure. We label terrorism based on the ideology that drives it. So if it's a Muslim who happens to carry out an act purportedly in support of Al-Qaeda or Islamic State or Al-Shabaab or whatever... We call it Islamist extremism. Some call it Sunni Islamist extremism. Some call it jihadi extremism. There are a variety of terms. The point is, is that we label the type of terrorism linked to the specific ideology that's that's driving it. And in this case, the ideology is is extremist Islam. It's violent extremist Islam. Call it. Some call it violent Salafism. Some call it violent jihadism. It Doesn't really matter. A guy like Alexandre Bissonnette, and you know, he was the guy that shot up a Quebec City mosque in January of 2017. Now, he wasn't charged with terrorism under Canadian law, but most people would basically call him a terrorist because he certainly was driven by an ideology that was very hateful, was this very Islamophobic, if not uh, hate, hatred of Islam, uh, hatred of immigration, hatred of the other, as that term is used in political science and sociology. We would call him a white nationalist terrorist or a white supremacist terrorist. We would not call him a domestic terrorist because, in fact, all of the plots that we have successfully foiled here in Canada and the few that have gotten through over the past, let's say, 20 years in the post-9-11 period, all of them were domestic plots. They all took place here in Canada. They all took place perpetrated or planned by individuals radicalized in Canada. The particular ideology that led them to plan these attacks isn't the important issue here It isn't a sense of what you call it, but they all happen within the confines of Canada, meaning they became our problem because they are radicalized within the Canadian political structure. They are as Canadian as I am, yet they chose a different pathway. So I don't see why the Americans would make this difference between a jihadi born in Ohio versus a white supremacist born in Ohio who radicalized in the state of Ohio and planned an act of terrorism successfully or foiled. On the other hand, I kind of do get why they do this. And it's because there's an extreme sensitivity in the United States when it comes to white nationalism and white supremacism. And this predates the current Trump administration. And we all know that President Trump has made some very unhelpful remarks talking about some very fine actors on both sides of the debate when it comes to white nationalism. The problem that the Americans have is that one of the terms that's used to define or describe this type of terrorism is far-right terrorism. And of course... The right, meaning the right wing or the right part of the political spectrum, is a very, very powerful actor in the United States. We have a right wing president right now. The Republican Party is going further right as time goes on. And I think that organizations such as the FBI and and DHS became very afraid to use that term because it would be seen as an insult to, I don't know, 175 million Americans, half the country, who might describe themselves as right wing. Those same people have no problem with calling it Muslim terrorism, despite the fact that it insults the vast majority of Muslims who don't believe in this kind of stuff, but eh, there you go. Here in Canada, I don't think we have the same problem with calling it far-right terrorism. There have been people who have raised objections to this because we do have a right wing in Canada, albeit much lower in scale to, to my American friends. But in the United States this is a different issue. In fact, it has got so bad back in the late 2000s that An old colleague of mine from the Department of Homeland Security who wrote a paper expressing the concern that some members of the U.S. military might engage in far-right terrorism at some point in their lives. And this would be a very scary possibility given that these guys were armed to the teeth and had training in how to use weapons. He was excoriated by the Republican Party in Congress. How dare you slam the reputations of, a, of fine American soldiers who've laid their lives down or, or risked their lives for our country? What an insult to their memories and to the sacrifices they have made. And so the DHS, they, they, they spiked that paper. They removed it. And the particular analyst um, actually quit. He was under I think he was under so much pressure. I don't have all the details, but he actually left DHS because of what happened to his theory about, about far-right terrorism. This is why I think they use the term domestic. But from an analytic perspective, from a, from a perspective of trying to understand the phenomenon and compare this phenomenon to other phenomena, it is, the, it is an inaccurate term and it is not helpful. I have no delusions that what I say today is going to affect how the Americans brand this type of terrorism. I'm just saying it's wrong. The important thing is not whether it's domestic or international. The important part is where it takes place, where the people actually carry out their attacks. Anyway, that's my views on the matter. I'm curious what you think about it. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com, on Facebook, on Twitter at Borealis Saves, or on LinkedIn. You can also subscribe to all the content, the podcasts, the blogs, the Today in Terrorism series. All the material Borealis Threat Risk Consulting is free of charge. Just go to the webpage, www.borealisthreatrisk.com, Go to the subscribe section, fill in your information, and you'll receive all this, this material free of charge to your inbox. I'd love to hear what you think of these podcasts and blogs. Give me some ideas for future things to talk about. Far too many topics out there; it's hard to keep up with them all. But I'd love to hear what you'd like to hear about. Until next time, I hope to talk to you soon. Stay safe.